Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. All right, Sharon, I'm extremely excited about this show today. Oh, good. Did you drink your monster drink to jack you up just a little bit? (laughs) You know, I had water, so... uh, I know, you don't do caffeine. I'm making fun of you. If I did caffeine, nobody would be able to stand me on this show because I'd be saying stuff that's so stupid because I get so jacked up and, you know, nobody would be able to stand me. Yeah, well, you never say anything stupid, Jeremy. (laughs) That's pushing it just a little bit too far. I've known you too long to know that. Now, would you sound like one of those commercials that... They talk real fast to say the stuff at the very end. Now, you might sound like that, but I've never known you to say anything stupid. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, you know, in in the wintertime when it's cold, I'll drink, um, you know, a black tea at the office. Mm-hmm. And when I drink you do it, get a little jacked up from that now. Everybody knows. They're like, oh my gosh, did you have tea? Because I talk faster. Hey, maybe that's what you need to do. Drink some caffeine. <laughs> talk faster. I don't think that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, they can all tell. They're like, you had tea, didn't you? I'm like, oh yeah, how did you know? <laughs> well, that's about like whenever I was in school and Sandy would teach just as hard as she could go eight hours, you know, never mm. hardly take a breath. And she was on labetalol for her blood pressure. And we would love it when they would increase her labetalol because it would slow her down just a little ah, bit. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a wonderful guest with us today, Mr. Tom Davis. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So, Tom, for um, our listeners who might not know you, uh, why don't you give us kind of a, a brief background and um, tell them a little bit about yourself? Oh, wow. Um, well, I've been a <laughs> CRNA forever. Uh, believe it or not, I've uh, been a CRNA for over 40 years now, and, and I've had the privilege of watching our profession grow. grow. Uh, when I became a CRNA, uh, our profession was at the diploma level, and we all earned hospital-based diplomas. And now we're at the doctorate level, and uh, it's taken uh, several decades to get there, but it's really been fun to watch the growth. Um, I've had a career that I wouldn't trade for anything else, and uh, I'm still working because it's what I love to do. I've had experience as chief CRNA at several locations. Uh, I'm retired military. I put in a 21-year career in the Air Force, so uh, I've got a background there, and I've got 
two special interests uh, related to anesthesia. I've got an interest in healthcare leadership and also patient safety. Those are, are two areas that are kind of near and dear to my heart. And uh, over the years, I've really developed the healthcare leadership aspect uh, to where I've written a number of articles and a, and a book on healthcare leadership. And, and I have spent time with CRNAs who have an interest in, in leadership. And, and so that's kind of where I'm going uh, with my career. It keeps me active and keeps me interested. And uh, the thing that's fun for me is that you just continue to grow. There's so much new stuff out there being put out by the behavioral science community that it, it really keeps everything fresh and alive. So that's me in a nutshell, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, Tom, we are so excited about this topic today because this is something Jeremy and I talk about frequently and have been looking for a guest to talk about this subject. And so today we're going to talk about emotional intelligence. So Tom, why don't you tell us what does emotional intelligence look like? Well, um, emotional intelligence, really the bottom line is connecting with other people. And to connect with them, you have to uh, have yourself under control. You have to know yourself. Uh, but you also have to be sensitive not only to who the person is, but what their interests are, how they're feeling. Um, you have to be able to sense their emotions in a very non-judgmental way. And uh, so emotional intelligence starts out with the ability to control your own emotions and understand them, and then extrapolate that to where you pick up on the emotions of others. Uh, it's really important in leadership, in in your life. It's, it's much bigger than the workplace. It's how you interact with people uh, throughout your personal community and throughout your life. So uh, that kind of introduces the topic. And where else would you like to go with it? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you kind of did a great job sum summarizing that, Tom, because, you know, it really is dealing with, you know, how you, how you deal with yourself in times of decision-making and stress and so forth, and how do you handle that? I mean, that's what a lot of this has got to do with. And our CRNA listeners out there, I mean, there are a lot of times, I mean, there's sometimes, you know, you're in the GI office and it's really easy, but there are a lot of times that this job is pretty stressful. And, you know, having... Uh, hey, listen, when I was doing 22 cases this morning, that was not easy just because I was in GI. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I'm, and that's coming from me, Sharon. I, you know, I'm just saying, you know, if you're in the eye clinic or doing GI, most times you're not, you know, you're not as challenged as doing a, you know, a big heart case or, you know, some other prone position. Look at that. Look at me throw out prone. Oh, my God, oh, the wow. big word. Look at that. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, this is an important topic for our listeners obviously, is, is kind of what I'm getting at here. Well, you know, the thing about emotional intelligence, it applies in so many different ways. Emotional intelligence is really the foundation of building that positive workplace, the preferred workplace. Um, and it is also the key to handling uh, drama in the workplace and all the stress that you talked about. So when you have uh, emotional intelligence, it kind of accentuates the positive and it defuses the negative. So it's very, very important. And when I work with people who have an interest in leadership, I've worked with CRNA groups 
And we talk about leadership and we talk about building that preferred workplace. And some of the things that you find in a preferred workplace is the supportive leadership and professional development and that uh, culture of collaboration. And those are all things that you can achieve with emotional intelligence. It's interesting. uh, People want feedback and the whole key to delivering feedback is how you deliver it. And if you have emotional intelligence and you can connect with the person, you can give them some very constructive feedback and they walk away feeling as if you want them to be better and you're helping them. Um, You can deliver that same feedback without emotional intelligence and they walk away feeling as if they've been beaten up. Hmm. So uh, again, uh, the delivery is just so important uh, in the workplace. So Uh, Again, emotional intelligence is one of those things that is creeping into our profession. It's interesting when people apply for jobs now, uh, there's so much that's online and you go to the organization's website. So suppose the chief CRNA wants to hire you. They say, "Okay, now you got to go online to our hospital's website and fill out this application. And all of a sudden, you get linked into this questionnaire, um, and the questions are really assessing your emotional intelligence. And so your your future employer is doing that. Um, I do some adjunct teaching at the Medical University of South Carolina, and uh, you know I was talking uh, to their program director because the students were just exceptional, and I I, I was talking to her about how do you select your students? And we were talking about emotional intelligence and part of their screening process for uh, SRNA applicants is emotional intelligence and they factor that into their recruiting. Mm. So again, that's how they build uh, their team with just exceptional people. As I talk to other program directors, I, I see that South Carolina is not unique that a lot of other program directors are doing the same thing. So uh, the future for our profession, I think, is pretty exciting because we're getting such a high level of applicant for our SRNA program. So I'm I'm very optimistic there. I know. Sometimes I think I wouldn't even be able to get in these days looking at some of these kids. They they are smart. I mean, it, it is amazing to me how smart they are. And you can just tell that their EI is extremely high. I mean, they're... They're confident. They make decisions. They stick with it. I mean, it's it's a very interesting group of, of folks that are entering the, the CRNA community now. And you know, well, you know, the students I work with are not competitive among themselves. They're very collaborative, um, and they want to be successful. But they want their classmates to be successful too. So they're not uh, they're not trying to advance at the expense of their classmates they're Mm. they're lifting everybody up together and that is the essence of of emotional intelligence and that's what you want from your entire team on your uh crew wherever you work you you want that collaboration yeah yeah tom there are different levels of of listening in how does that influence emotional intelligence Well, you know, that's at the very heart of emotional intelligence. Um, You have to connect with the person and you can't connect with them if you don't listen to them. And it's very interesting. There's a a guy named Chris Voss. And at one point back in the 1970s, when terrorists were hijacking airplanes, 
Uh, Chris Voss was the United States number one negotiator in those hostage situations. And over the years, he never had a single person uh, lose their life as a captive. They were all released in time. And uh, his his bottom line message was, you have to listen and understand the other person before you can make any progress at all. And so that was the key to his success in dealing with terrorists, was mm -hmm. listening and understanding them. And so Chris Voss identified uh, five levels of listening. And uh, most of us live at level one and level two, and that's very unfortunate. At level one, it, you just kind of get the gist of what somebody's saying. And that's while you're, you know, kind of looking at your iPhone in one hand and somebody's talking to you. And the whole time they're talking, you know, your mind is somewhere else and you're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, as if you're listening to them, but you kind of get the gist of what they're they're telling you, but they're not, you're not really listening to them. Uh, level two listening, uh, you listen to rebut. The whole time the other person mm -hmm. is talking, you're looking for an entry to where you can come back, you can make your point. You're not so much interested in what they're saying as to get your point of view across and have them listen to you. And again, unfortunately, that's where most of us spend most of our time is at level one and level two, where we're either just kind of getting the gist and blowing them off, or we're listening uh, for an opening to rebut. When you get to level three listening, you're really listening to what they say. And the deal is you don't have to agree with them. In fact, you can disagree 180 degrees, but you still want to know what it is that they're thinking. And so, again, at level three, you're an active listener. Uh, when the person's talking, instead of listening to rebut, you're saying, well, why don't you tell me more about that? Or can you explain this? Or, you know, let, I don't fully understand. Can you clarify this? Um, and that's the level three thinking. Now, when you get to level four thinking, and this is where Chris Voss uh, really made his impact, um, and that is, not only do you understand what the person is telling you, but why? Why do they think that way? Not only what they think, but why they think that way. That takes a whole different level of thinking. You have to put aside all of your intent to rebut the person. And, and truly, again, you don't have to agree with them. Uh, certainly, Chris Voss did not agree with the terrorists who were holding hostages but he did have to understand them before he could move forward and negotiate the release. So those are the different levels of listening. Um, and in order to gain emotional intelligence, you really have to get at least to level three. You have to get beyond wanting to rebut the other person and get to where you're truly interested in how do they think and, and why do they think that way? So, um, that's the answer to the level of thinking. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. 
He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself, and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Jeremy, you have to practice this every day with people and their finances. You live in level three. <laughs> Yeah, oh, all yeah. the time. I mean, it, it, with it your is. job, it, it, you're very right. I mean, it, it it's very true, and you've got to be empathetic. Uh, you've got to listen to what people want, and there are times, uh, Sharon, that you know, um, CRNAs, which we work with on a daily basis, are type A, and uh, some don't have very high EI, and they say things, um, and it comes across very tart at the moment and you know I'm type A as well um, and I have to take it in and think about the best way to come back and move forward and you know sometimes and you're very good at that I've seen you Sharon do that on you know lots and lots and lots of times and you know that's part of EI you've got to learn how to to deal with people in the right way and, and give them something back and clarify what they're saying and what are they really saying, less what they just came across and blasted you about. So And what um, they're not saying. Exactly. And that's that's what that's what the hard part is for sure. You know, I've got an acquaintance um, and uh, when you have a gathering, this particular person is like a people magnet. You know, mm-hmm. that he just People just, you know, kind of take their turn going and talking to him. He's one of these people that that, that just kind of compels you uh, to have a few words with him. And uh, one time we'd been at a gathering and we got done and, and my wife said, uh, did you talk to so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And uh, she said, well, what did you talk about? And I told her uh, that he'd asked me about different things. I told him I'd been doing this and that and the other. And she says, well, what's he been doing? You know, what'd you learn about him? And I realized that, uh, he was the listener and that's why people like him mm-hmm. because he, he's always saying, uh, he's interested in, in the other person. Tell me more about it. What else have you been doing? And, and so he got me talking about myself to the point that that I really never asked him anything about him, and it was like, oh, it was like one of those gotcha moments, and I and I realized uh, that he's truly a level three and level four listener, and certainly I was a willing participant. But the other side of that coin is I really walked away feeling as if I'd been heard, mm-hmm. and and that's so important when you're developing emotional intelligence and you get to that level three and level four listening, the other person walks away feeling fulfilled. They feel as if they've been heard. And that's just so important in connecting with people. That's my husband. That is my husband. Mike Pierce will know everybody in the room and he will know everything about them. Whenever I was AANA president and we drove up to Chicago for him to DJ the employees picnic that they have every year. And Pierce talked to 
all the employees there and he come back telling me, did you know that so-and-so used to play bass guitar and he played with such and such band? Like he's head of our IT department. I never knew that. But Pierce would find out all kinds of things about everybody because he does exactly what you just said, Tom. He listens to everybody except for me. But <laughs> he listens to everybody else. Well, how can emotional intelligence impact the workplace, good and bad ways, well, or lack uh, of emotional intelligence? Sure. Well, you know, there's a cost for lack of emotional intelligence. People, you can't create that preferred workplace. And in the preferred workplace, uh, again, people sense that there's supportive leadership, there's open communication, um, honest feedback, passionate people, and you feel connected, you feel safe in a preferred workplace. When you have emotional intelligence in a workplace and something happens, and, and certainly in anesthesia, things happen all the time. We, you know, we it's crisis management. If you lack emotional, you know, if you lack emotional intelligence, and something happens, the first question is who who did it? Whose fault is it? If you have emotional intelligence, the first question is how can we fix it? And so again, the people feel supported; they don't feel thrown under the bus. Uh, they know that if they have a problem, that you will connect with them. And you'll focus on fixing the problem, fixing the system, whatever whatever's wrong, rather than blaming the person. And so that that's just so important in a workplace. Uh, again, you can't have that preferred workplace without the professional development. And when you have a leader who lacks professional development, uh, people move on. Uh, and certainly there's a cost for replacing people. If you look now at the shortage of CRNAs out there, you know, if, if you're short of CRNA, then you have to bring in agency people at twice the price to the organization. Um, and the literature, if you read the business community literature, it says that for trained professionals, which we are licensed trained professionals, that when all is said and done, it costs the organization somewhere one to two times your annual salary to replace you. And that includes all of um, uh, the recruiting, uh, the onboarding, the credentialing, and the cost of bringing in uh, agency people to fill the gap while you're gone. When you add up all those numbers, you know, it, it gets to be quite expensive. And, you know, most CRNAs are, I'm going to just say ballpark 200000 a year. Um, and so it could easily cost an organization 300000 uh, if somebody quits by the time all is said and done. Yeah. Uh, and so if you have that poor leadership that lacks emotional intelligence, it's going to cost the organization a lot of money. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and if you spend your money replacing people, then at the end of the year, when you put in for a pay raise, the bank's empty and, and you don't get your pay raise. So again, when you have the good leadership with emotional intelligence, you create that preferred workplace where people want to be, they don't want to leave, and it, it really saves a lot of money for the organization. I mean, that's a great point, Tom, especially in today's environment with a shortage of CRNAs out there, 
Um, and, and a lot of CRNAs having a lot of opportunities to do 1099 work and not having to put up with, um, you know, some of the demeaning behaviors of supervisors or people in charge, you know, today they're liable to say, Hey, I'm leaving. And now to your point, you've got a hole. Um, it's hard to recruit CRNAs cause everybody's trying to recruit CRNAs and you've got to go to an agency um, and you just cost yourself, your hospital, your organization, your team, a lot of money by not dealing with the situation the right way with a CRNA. Because I'll tell you, most CRNAs are not going to be talked down to. They're not going to be told what to do. Um, they like to feel like they're part of the team and that if you come across as, you know, this is something that we made a decision together to do instead of this is what you're going to do um, you're exactly right. It will, it will help the team and probably end up saving a lot of money in the long term. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the drama triangle. Now, you know, what I know about this, it just kind of maps some of the destructive interaction that occur between people um, who, who have conflict. And I'd love for you to expound upon that just a little bit, Tom. Well, that's one of my favorite questions. I love uh, talking to groups about workplace drama and the drama triangle. Um, a little bit of history. There was a guy in the 1960s, a psychologist named Stephen Karpman, and uh, he developed the drama triangle. He spent a lot of time doing research in the workplace and looked at workplace drama. Um, and based on his research, he came up with what's called the drama triangle. And he identified three different positions on the triangle. And the positions are, the first one is there's a persecutor. And then uh, if you have a persecutor, there's a victim. That's the second position. And then the third position is the rescuer. And what he found was that when you get drama going in the workplace, you have those three positions, a persecutor, a victim, and, and a rescuer. Um, and people tend to enter the drama triangle at the same place. It's their personality. So, uh, you know, the people who see themselves as victims generally come in as a victim or a rescuer or as a persecutor. But the thing that Stephen Cartman identified was that once you hop on the triangle, you start flipping positions. And so mm -hmm. where you enter may not be where you end up. And it's really kind of one of those psychological games that uh, that we play in the workplace. So now you've got a persecutor and the persecutor is picking on the victim. And so then the rescuer jumps in and uh, tells the persecutor, knock it off. You know, we can't have this. So the persecutor or the rescuer gets all over the persecutor. So now who's the persecutor? Well, it's the mm. rescuer. Mm. Who's the victim? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the persecutor, right? Uh -huh. And so the victim <laughs> says, 
hey, I never, I never asked you to jump in on my behalf. Uh, what's this all about? You know, we've got conflict going. I didn't ask for this. So now the victim becomes the rescuer and, and on and on and on around the circle. You get dizzy doing it. Um, it's interesting when I talk to CRNA groups and ask them, where do you most typically enter the drama triangle? Uh, CRNAs most commonly identify with that rescuer, rescuer. position. I was going to say that. And that makes wow. sense to me Fine. because what's our background? Well, we're nurses, we're nurturers, we're caregivers. And so we want to be the rescuers. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that Stephen Cartman found was that all three positions are equally sick or equally flawed. Maybe that's a better word. Sick. Um, that the, you know, that the, the persecutor obviously is, is a little bit paranoid. They, they have to have the upper hand. They don't want to be viewed as, as weak. And, and the people who jump in as the victim, well, why would anybody want to be a victim? Well, it's simple. It's got a lot of advantages. Mm -hmm. If you're the victim, it's not your fault. Whose fault right. is it? It's somebody else's fault, right? It's not my fault. Don't blame me. I'm the victim here. And then the rescuers, they need to be needed. And mm -hmm. so, again, that's why they jump in to rescue. They need to be needed. Um, and so the thing that was interesting is Stephen Cartman identified these positions very, very well, but he really didn't have an answer. And so it was in the 1990s, uh, a guy named David Emerald followed up on Stephen Cartman's work. And David Emerald took the drama triangle and he said, well, what if we flipped this? What if we what if we found a solution to it? Let's take those three positions and flip them into something more positive. And so instead of being a persecutor where you're you're beating on somebody, uh, let's flip that position into what we call a challenger, where you're challenging them to do better. Mm. Um, and then let's look at that rescuer position. And instead of coming in, you know, here I come to save the day, flip that into a coaching <clears throat> position. So instead of being a rescuer, be a coach. And that goes along with that philosophy. Uh, you know, if you give a person a fish, they eat today. If you teach them how to fish, they eat forever. Um, and so you want to be the coach uh, rather th than the rescuer. And then the victim, rather than being uh, the victim, you can be a creator. You can see yourself not being victimized, but as having an opportunity to create something better. So that's what David Emerald added to the mix. Um, and, and people with emotional intelligence are aware of these three positions, the persecutor, the victim, and the rescuer. But instead of jumping on the drama triangle, they say, okay, how could I be a coach? How could I be a challenger? Mm. And this, the challenger position is kind of interesting. You know, sometimes it really works well. Um, instead of being the pers persecutor and jumping on somebody, you can talk to them and say, hey, I know that you know this is not going to work out better or not going to work out well. How can we work together to find a way uh, to get a better result. And so you're you're challenging them rather than beating them up. And that's all tied into emotional intelligence. It's really a, a very fun thing to uh, look into and, and read. Uh, I love talking about the drama triangle. It's just a lot of fun. And I think we can all identify with that. Well, I was just thinking, oh, Tom, yes. as you're talking, I mean, you get all of these in a marriage as well, because you might have a man who wants to be a rescuer, 
um, you know, and thinks the wife is a victim. And then she goes, I'm not a victim. I don't need you to rescue me. And now she becomes the persecutor. Um, or, you know, vice <laughs> sounds like, like you've done this before, well, Jeremy. I've been married <laughs> twice now, you know, so I get it. And, uh, but I mean, I mean, you can see that not only in relationships at work in relationships with friends, you can see it in marriages. I mean, all this, this sort of goes together. And, you know, if you've got a, a really weak EI, you can see how this could cause problems. I mean, if you're if you're a studly man and you're a rescuer and you're going to save everybody and, you know, you've got a strong-willed CRNA wife who doesn't want you to rescue her and doesn't need that, um, you can see him getting offended and getting his, you know, butt up on his shoulders and then her the same way. And now you've got both of them going and you just can't get past it. And, uh, you know, you, you see that a lot. So it just made me think of that, um, as you were talking. It so. <laughs> sounds a little intense there, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you. How many times have we heard people say, ah, no good deed goes unpunished, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. That's true. Yeah, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, what is that? That's somebody who came in as the rescuer, yeah. got on that drama triangle, and and the victim says, well, wait a minute, I don't need your help. And so the rescuer says, well, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. So when you hear mm. that, you know that people have been on the drama triangle. Mm. Oh, that's, mm. that's something good to hear. Sharon, you tell, <laughs> yes. you tell Pierce about that tonight. Y'all, that's, uh, that could honey, be good bedtime Haven't talking. we all said that before? <laughs> well, let's let's move on to the amygdala hijack. And I'm pretty mm. sure I know what this is. And I'm pretty sure my amygdala has been hijacked before. <laughs> but why don't you talk to us about it, oh, Tom? Yeah, yeah we, we have all been there. Uh, the amygdala is the emotional part of the brain. And, uh, you know, when you read about the amygdala hijack, I don't know why the behavioral scientists always talk about the caveman and the saber-toothed tiger jumping out of the, out of the bush. And, you know, all of a sudden you're pure emotion. It's, uh, you know, fight or flight, that type of thing. And certainly in my life, I've never had a saber-toothed tiger jump out of the bush. But we have other things that jump out at us and uh and hit our emotional part of the brain and it's interesting uh the neuroscientists and the behavioral scientists have really studied this uh with all the electrodes and wires on the brain and they can document that that the electrical activity uh shifts from from the thinking areas of the brain to the emotional areas to the amygdala when you get hijacked Um, and even the blood supply to the brain shifts uh Mm. to the amygdala area and so now you're running on pure emotion. And so instead of uh, the saber-toothed tiger, I like to think about it as road rage. You know, when people get their button pushed and they're off the end, and later on, you know, when they come down, they say, oh, I, I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I said that. Well, it's because your thinking brain was shut down and you were just running on, on pure emotion. Um, and how many times have we been in one of those uh, emotionally charged uh, argument type things and later on you say oh i wish i would have said this i wish i had made that point i wish i hadn't said that well it's because your thinking brain was shut down and you were running purely on your amygdala it was all emotion and so you probably didn't uh, say and do the things that you would want to do Um, and so how do you stop that well 
the the way to stop it, first of all, you have to have an awareness. Okay, I feel my button being pushed. Uh, and so instead of letting it be pushed, you have to have that awareness. Now, um, I got to keep my thinking brain in the process. And the way to do that is maybe ask yourself some questions. You don't let yourself trigger on the pure emotion. You know, you can ask yourself a question like, what is my goal? What do I want out of this? You know, our mothers, we'd start to get mad. We were children. Our mothers would say, now count to 10. Well, what does that do? Well, it pauses, doesn't it? It pushes a pause button. If you count to 10, you can't count to 10 without using your thinking brain. So again, you're keeping your brain engaged instead of going purely emotion. And one thing that I tell people, especially with workplace drama, that once that amygdala is hijacked, uh, you won't think clearly, you won't make the decisions that you would make with a clear mind. And a lot of things don't have to be handled immediately. It's very honest to say to a person, we need to discuss this. I'm really feeling angry right now. Let's meet at three o'clock and we'll discuss it. Now you've paused it. You've had time to think it over. You've got maybe a couple of hours. You can say uh, in your mind, you can organize. Now, uh, what are my goals? What are their goals? Uh, why did they act that way? Why do I act this way? But you can go into it with a clear head. And when you meet with that person a couple hours later, the emotion is gone and you can have a a clear discussion. You can get to the root of the problem, whatever it was, uh, but you got to keep that amygdala under control. So that's the amygdala hijack. Um, and again, it plays into emotional intelligence because once you allow your amygdala to be hijacked, uh, emotional intelligence goes out the window. And to be emotional intelligent, you have to uh, keep in control of yourself. So that's it's another fun topic to read about, um, you know, with the behavioral scientists and all the things that they've done. That made me think of Matt Zender, Sharon, having him on the mm -hmm. show and talking about mindfulness and, and meditation and breathing. And I know that, you know, when we have those stressors or those things going on, you know, th those things can help, you know, um, you know, whether it's yoga or breathing exercises or what is it you do box breathing, box breathing. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I do that. It kind of helps me calm down and sort of think through things, but you know, uh, the amygdala is, is very powerful. And when it releases, you know, that cortisol or, you know, it, it sort of just takes over and you make irrational decisions until you can get a handle on it um and people lash out um they'll do things that they might not have otherwise done so controlling the amygdala is is a big deal and you know if you if you find that you've got issues with that and you tend to kind of get that fight or flight syndrome pretty quickly and it it takes a lot for me to get that fight or flight syndrome mm -hmm. but when i get it i know it i feel it and Sharon, you know, over the last week or so, I've felt that, uh, you know, with just a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I've really had to kind of fight that and, and look introspectively. And so it's really good for us to have this conversation for me as well right now. But we all go through those times. And it's yes, like, I, we do. It's like I told you on, uh, I think we talked Saturday. And, you know, I told you that, you know, you always seem to handle situations and I never really see you get rattled and you said is that the way you see me 
<laughs> you sounded so surprised because I don't ever, you know, there can be 10 things going on that, you know, really bad things in your life. And well, you just sort of cruise through it and just handle it. Now, you might have a freak out, you know, when you're behind closed doors, but, you know, I've never really seen that side of you in 20 plus years of, of knowing you. So, well, good success. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the real keys is to pause, to take that pause and, um, and be aware of how you're feeling and, and you can feel the emotions uh, welling up inside you. And when you feel that, you have to just back off and say, yes, this needs to be dealt with, but not immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, let's take a five minute break or a 30 minute break, whatever, and then we'll talk about it. And in the meantime, you get your uh, thinking brain back in the game. Logic. I never thought about the part about, uh, you know, we have all heard your mother saying you need to count to 10, but. I never thought about it that it was re-engaging your thinking brain, overtaking your amygdala. But that's exactly what it was doing. I know my mother had no idea what an amygdala was, <laughs> <laughs> but she would say you need to take a deep breath and you need to count to ten. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Take a pause. Well, hey, Sharon. We've got some exciting news to share with people today, don't we? Yes, we do. And why don't you let the cat out of the bag, Jeremy? <laughs> wow, I don't usually put cats in bags. Is that kind of a deep-seated <laughs> thing with you or what? You know. Uh, well, you know, some of our listeners know we've been doing live podcasts around the country at different state association meetings, A&A events, and so forth. And May 4th through the 7th, we're actually going to be at the Pennsylvania State Meeting. Sharon, you've been there a lot and spoken a lot there um, at the Hotel Hershey. Um, yes. Yeah, and I've never been to the Hotel Hershey. So I'm kind oh, of my gosh, you are that. in for a treat. When you check in, they ask you milk or dark because you get chocolate when you check in. It's, it's really cool. So, listeners, if you want to go to a great meeting, Pennsylvania puts on a great meeting. We'll be doing the live podcast taping there. And they're going to be having a party there, too. And guess who the DJ is? Uh, let me think. Does his last name end with Pierce? Yes, it does. DJ so, Pierce come will and be join us. <laughs> Can't leave the house without him anymore, you know? That's right. So, Join us in in Pennsylvania at the Hotel Hershey, May 4th through the 7th, and come to a great meeting. So, Tom, what is the continuum from thoughts to results? Because I don't think I've heard of this before. Well, again, this comes from the behavioral science community. And, and uh, the continuum is that uh, how you think affects how you feel. And how you feel affects what you say and do. And what you say and do then affects your end results. And the thing that I think is interesting about that is that they present it as uh, starting with how you think and ending with the results, like it's a, a straight line from one to the next to the next. And my experience over the years is that it's more like throwing a pebble in a pond and you get that ripple effect all different directions. And so you can change any one of those four and they will change the other three. 
And so sometimes it's hard to change uh, your basic thought process, but it's of the four, the thing that's the most easiest to control is what you say and do. And by changing what you say and do over time, it will change how you feel and it'll change how you think, and it'll also change your results. And so when I work with groups, that's one of the things that I focus on is uh, controlling what you say and what you do. And the words matter. The words you use matter. And not only the words you use, but how they're delivered, uh, your your tone of voice, your uh, the look on your face, the gestures, you know, rolling your eyes as you talk. Well, that sends a pretty powerful message. Mm. So uh, how it's delivered is important also. But again, if you if you control your words and you use empowering language, uh, you know, it will make a big difference in your results. Um, we have weak words and we have strong words. It's easiest to use the weak words because they're very non-committal. Uh, you'll hear people talking about uh, what we could do or should do or might do. And those are not a call to action. So if you talk about what we will do, uh, that's much more decisive. And if somebody says, well, we ought to do this, you know, you can nod your head and say, yeah, we ought to do it. And that's the end of it. You know, it doesn't go anywhere. But if you make a commitment, say we will do it, then that changes your results. And as your results change, it also changes how you how you feel about yourself. So again, it's that ripple effect. And, and I encourage people to be mindful of the words that they use and use those powerful words. Be decisive in your language and uh, you'll be more decisive in your results. I mean, it reminds me of that old saying, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Maybe your mom used to say that one too, Sharon. Yeah, um, or come sit by me. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have um, but, you know, to Tom's point, I will never forget whenever I was campaigning for president-elect of the AANA and you have to get up and give your speech. And I had written down uh, some thoughts. I'm not somebody who reads from a script, but Linda Williams, my mentor, looked over it and she talked to me a, gr a great deal about my language. Of course, you know, Linda Williams was not only a CRNA, but a, but an attorney, but she changed my language from we must or what uh, that type of language to we will. So it sounded more authoritative, more presidential, main, main, it, not authoritative, because I'd like to see myself as a collaborator. I hope that's what I was, but more presidential more of a, more a leader exactly yeah. yeah exactly so while we're talking about leadership styles um what's the best leadership style for the workplace you know that's a, a great question people want the holy grail of leadership you know what is the best style um and it has to do with personalities it has to do with the job that you want to get done uh, there are many, many different leadership styles out there, uh, and they're all equally effective in different situations. And so it just depends on on uh, what you are into, but all of them, to be successful at any leadership style, uh, you need that emotional intelligence where you connect with the people. So, you know, one of the leadership styles that 
that people talk about first is authoritarian, where uh, you say authoritarian and you think about the person with the heavy handed fist and I'm the boss and you're going to do it my way or or you're out of here. That will drive people away from many workplaces. But on the other hand, authoritarian, when you have emotional intelligence and it's delivered properly, can be a very good leadership style. The thing that comes to mind is I had worked one time at a GI center and we had a, a GI tech who trained all the new people and her name was Lolly and she was wonderful. And the thing is, she was an authoritarian in terms of she would not let the person uh, leave orientation until they did everything perfectly well. But she also had amazing emotional intelligence. She was a coach. And even though she was authoritarian and made people absolutely toe the line, she did it with a smile on her face and she did it in a collaborative manner. And she did it in a way that people knew that once she had trained them, that they were ready to go. Mm. And so, again, that's a very effective use of authoritarian. It doesn't have to be uh, heavy handed or negative. Um, If you're trying to uh, come up with a new policy or procedure and you need group participation, maybe a democratic uh, style of leadership is a little bit more appropriate. There's a coaching style of leadership. Uh, Another style is called laissez-faire, where basically the leader just sets out the goal and provides resources and people are on their own to achieve the goal. So again, uh, all of those leadership styles work, but the key is to connect with the people, to have the emotional intelligence, uh, to be good listeners and and know the, the personality behind the people that you're leading. And all the leadership styles work. But again, it's that emotional intelligence and it's the connection with the people. It's how it's delivered that makes the difference. Most workplaces, most healthcare workplaces are, you know, some, I guess it just depends. When you're a CRNA, you go in in the morning and you get your assignment for today and it's pretty much laissez-faire leadership. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they say, these are your cases and they leave you alone. And on the other hand, If you're meeting at three o'clock to uh, revise a policy or procedure, then maybe a democratic style of leadership may be more appropriate. So again, uh, all of the leadership styles are good. They all work. Uh, The delivery is the important thing. And again, the connection with the people is what's going to make the difference. Yeah, and I think um, you know a big. We're going to go back to something you you talked about in the beginning, and that was you know the cost associated with with lower EI. You know, maybe it's a chief CRNA or or someone that's in charge at the hospital. And how do you recruit and hire emotionally intelligent people? You know, that's that's really the key. Years ago, I worked as an instructor uh, in an SRNA program. And I believed that the most important thing we did all year was selecting students. Because if you put together the right group of students, it was very easy to teach them. Uh, if you had uh, students who were not the right group, it, you know, everybody's life was miserable. And so I like to talk to people about values-based leadership. And that's a, a totally different talk. But that's where you base all your decisions on on core values, mission, vision values of the organization. And um, 
when you do your recruiting, your values ought to be evident in the job description, for example. You ought to rewrite your job description that reflects the values of the organization. Um, and the same with recruiting uh, for your for your hiring. You need to weave into your job description uh, not only what you want people to do, but how you want them to do it. And when you talk about how you want them to do it, you weave in elements of the preferred workplace where we work collaboratively. Uh, you weave in uh, elements of emotional intelligence where we're good listeners, where we're uh, supportive of one another. And so you go through the hiring process. Um, and the other thing that I think we don't talk about enough when we interview job applicants are the core values of the organization and things like emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, how do we expect you to interact with, with one another? As the chief CRNA at the Johns Hopkins, I started every single job uh, applicant interview by handing the person a paper that had the mission, vision, and values of the Johns Hopkins. Hmm. And we would go through those. And after we went through those, I would tell the person, you know, if this is not you, then this is not your job because this is really what we're going for here. Uh, this is the group that we're trying to build. And, and we're a large group. And I'll tell you right up front, there are people who have been here for a long time and they don't meet all of these criteria, but this is the team we're building. This is where we're going. And this is what I expect from you. It was interesting. It didn't turn people off. It turned them on because nobody would ever talked to them about values before. And uh, when they joined the team, they were very uh, enthused about working collaboratively and connecting with people. And so it really kind of set the stage for the emotional intelligence. But again, you, you tell them that up front. And uh, another advantage that it has when you talk about mission, vision, and values right up front uh, in the recruiting process, and this really fortunately only happened to me once while I was there, uh, I had to call a person in because the behavior was just consistently not what we wanted. Um, and, I, and I called him in and I sat him down and I said, you know, uh, when I recruited you, we talked about mission, vision, and values, and this is the behavior that I'm seeing from you and it's really not in alignment with the mission vision and values uh that we had described and first of all he was blown away he didn't realize that was how he was coming across but i said you know just like when you were hired if this is not you then this is not your job um, and you need to be looking somewhere else and conversely if this is you we need to see a change in behavior i've never seen anybody behavior change overnight as quickly as that person's. And I really didn't have to chastise him. All I had to do was show him how his behavior was not in alignment with uh, the emission, vision, and values. And so, uh, again, building that emotionally intelligent team starts up front, starts with the job description. It continues through the interview process. Um, and you've got to get a buy-in right up front before you even hire them. You've got to tell them, this is the team we want, and describe how you want people to work together uh, before you bring them on board. So um, Tom, yeah, that's, uh, this is, this has been uh, a great conversation and it's something that Jeremy and I have looked forward to and was, we were so happy whenever we found somebody who kind of specialized in this particular topic, 
and we could go on for a long time about this, uh, Jeremy and I, because we have lots of internal conversations amongst the two of us about this. But as we kind of conclude here, are there any final thoughts you would like to leave our listeners with about emotional intelligence? Well, I think I'm repainting the fence here, but it really is not only the key to a successful workplace, but also uh, the key to a successful life, Um, how you interact at home, how you interact with your civic groups and you know, the, the things we talked about today are just as important at a PTA meeting as they are at a staff meeting. So, um, you know, that's one thing that I would uh, offer as a walk away. Uh, another walk away message would be to get in touch with your own emotions and get control of your amygdala. Don't let that be hijacked. You know, finally, I think one of the real keys that we're not particularly good at sometimes is listening. And uh, anything that you can do to get beyond that level two listening where you're listening to rebut and get to level three where you're listening to understand, uh, you know, what is the person saying? And and um, then get to level four, not only what they think, but why do they feel that way? <clears throat> so when you get to those deeper levels of listening, uh, it'll really open up a lot of avenues for you to uh, move forward with your life. Yeah. Well, Tom, I think this is, again, like Sharon said, great stuff and and, and stuff that we're very interested in. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about this uh, all day. And um, But we want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you for presenting this uh, information. It's, it's really a deep topic. Um, in, in such a, a wonderful way that's easy to follow and follow through. And I think you made some great points. And for our listeners out there, you know, this is something that is, is very important, not only in the CRNA community, not only in the hospital, but also as Tom illustrated in your life and in your family and your with your spouse, significant other. This is how you interact with people. And it's something that you need to spend a little time with. In fact, I know there are tests out there that measure your EI. There's books out there. And if sometimes you're feeling maybe that amygdala gets hijacked way too much, uh, there are ways to control that and and maybe look into that. So, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. They like our show, Sharon. How can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us to grow is to leave us a review, but make it negative. I mean, did I say that? Oh, (laughs) Gosh, I messed Your up. amygdala got <laughs> No negative reviews. Make it positive. We know there's way too much negativity in this world. Absolutely. Tell all your friends. Share us on social media. We grow by word of mouth. So do tell other people about our show. Um, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on the way to number... Number one, just like we are in the CRNA community and... We appreciate all the CRNAs and SRNAs and folks out there that listen to us. And if they've got a topic or something they think would be mm-hmm. relevant, absolutely reach out to Sharon or I. We're always open to, to bringing folks in on the show and getting the word out. I know. Where's Randy Cornelius been lately? He right. hasn't sent us an email in a he while. He hasn't. I don't know. I think he idea. might be a little busy right now. So. I think so. We'll let him slide for now. Randy, if you hear this, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Sharon, till next time. It's a wrap.
Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.